For the last number of weeks, um, I've been sharing on some aspect of, of praise and worship. In the last week, uh, Lisa and I shared on that, that same topic as well. And when I first started weeks ago, I was going to share, a, I thought it was going to be a one and done. Just kind of throw some things out there and then kind of move on. But it, each week I felt like the Lord kept giving me more aspects that he wanted me to share along the same lines. Concerning praise and worship. Talking about the importance of it, the significance of it. And there's been a few of you that have been sharing with me uh, personal testimony of what the Lord's been doing in your lives can, along these lines. And it's been very encouraging to hear how he's been taking this, this message in and how it's been incorporated into your life. Has anybody been encouraged in practical ways uh, to engage in praise and worship more? Anybody? Anybody been doing it? Getting after it? Because I know that it can be challenging because this is not a brand new thing. It's not a new topic. Very old, actually. Um, we're very familiar with it. I just felt like the Lord was just, has been stirring it up in me again. And as I've been engaging and participating, it's just been wonderful. How he's been revealing himself. And you know, you got to be careful uh, of when and where you decide just to get lost in his presence. The other day I was, I was putting together a, a playlist from YouTube. If you go on YouTube, there's all kinds of uh, praise and worship videos. And I like, what I like to do with those is, is put them together and let them play one after another. And then we can hook the computer to our TV and then we can have our family worship watching these, watching these videos. And so I'm in the office on Friday and I'm just, uh, I'm discovering more and more videos. And there's just a million of them on there. And it's just awesome worship. And I hit this one and, and it, was one, it used to be one of my favorite songs I hadn't heard in a long time. And, and this, this church, this mega church started singing this song and worship was going up. And, and man, I was just starting to get all... I mean, it's like God's presence and emotions. I was just, just getting into it. And, man, I'm just starting to worship right there in my office, just worshiping God loud. And I, got a, I got the speakers turned up loud, and I'm just worshiping loud. And, and on Fridays, it's just me and Todd. So Todd's on that side of the church, and I'm on this side of the church. So he can be as loud as he wants, and I can be as loud as I want. And we don't, there's no classing. But so I'm just getting after it, just worshiping my guts out, enjoying his presence. And it's like, oh, this is so good. And all of a sudden I hear in the middle of me being in the, the third atmosphere of heaven, all of a sudden I hear, excuse me, scared the fire out of me. It's like, what? And uh, there's a, a lady that walked in, a lady that needed some assistance. And man, it just, I mean, you know, you're just totally in one part of the universe and then someone yanks you back here. And it was so interesting because it startled me and I said, yes, I'm sorry, how, how can I help you? And she Apparently, she had been there for some time. Now, I don't know how long. I don't know if it was five seconds, 30 seconds. The more I think about it, the more afraid I become. <laughs> Thinking, oh, my goodness. But she had been there for some time because uh, I guess she was hesitant on interrupting, but she needed to. She said, excuse me. And I started to say, yes, I'm helping. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, that sounded so wonderful. That was so wonderful. And she's asking for help and stuff like that. And. And, and I did, I did have to turn her down. I turned her down. But the interesting thing was, was even though I said no, she's like, oh, thank you very much. Oh, that was so wonderful. It was like there was a very reverential atmosphere or attitude with this lady. 
It's like, oh, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm thinking that's kind of weird. But what I believe happened, that's just my theory. I believe God's presence was in that in that office. Because me and God were getting down and we were having a good time. And the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people or he inhabits the praises of his person. Now, that's my paraphrase. You can be all by yourself just worshiping. And it's like God will show up in wonderful ways just to do all kinds of things. Like Mike was talking about, sometimes he shows up just to minister to and bless you. Sometimes he shows up to fight for you. And so this thing I've been talking about, praise and worship for these last several weeks, I've been engaging in this over and more and more and, and, and just loving on God. And, and I just want to encourage you to continue. And one interesting thing about this is, like I said earlier, I had an intention to preach on it and then move on. That was my idea, but I felt like the Lord kept saying, talk about this, talk about this, and just kept developing it because I had an intention to move on to something else. I wanted to talk about this and to move on to, I want to talk about relationships, loving each other, us as, as people of God, <clears throat> uh, loving each other and that kind of thing. And looking back, what I realized God is doing, you know, I realized, you know, when someone asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I realized that you cannot, you and I cannot love each other the way God wants us to until we love God the way he says we, we are to. In other words, because it's love God first, then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, then love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't love your neighbor until you're loving God. And then when you're loving God, he loves on you and, you and he begins to work in you. And then you can begin to love yourself. All that self-condemnation, that, that stuff, that, that junk we have in us. He begins to deal with that. And then we're able to love other people. And so if you have a church that worships, truly worships. I'm not talking about you just knows how to go through the motions. And even look good doing it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real heartfelt worship. And not just on Sunday morning, but with a lifestyle of worship. Then you're going to stumble into a church that knows how to love each other. Does that make sense? And see, that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> so I haven't even gotten to the message yet. I was kind of building up to. So anyway, what I feel like he's been showing me is that, that God is developing some things. But he has a way of doing it differently from what a lot of times from what we think. But anyway, I really believe we've been crying out to God to see his kingdom manifested in greater and greater ways. And I believe he wants that. And the Bible says that when we pray according to God's will, we can be confident that we're going to get that request. When I'm asking God to give me what he wants to give me, guess what? He's going to give it to me. And he wants his kingdom to be manifest through his people, through his church, here on the earth. He wants to be glorified through us. You agree with me on that? Amen. And so if he wants that and we want that, then I believe what he's going to do is he's going to show us how to see that happen. And I believe a, a key, a huge, tremendous key is through, area, through the area of praise and worship. I mean, if you look all through the New and Old Testament, you just see he inhabits the praises of his people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All about worshiping, worshiping God. 
So then we're going to move on today, and this might be the last installment. I'm thinking it is, but I'm not going to say it is because I've been, I've been surprised already. But here's another installment, kind of along these same lines, but somewhat different. And the name of this sermon would be called An Attitude of Gratitude. An Attitude of Gratitude. I just like the way it flows. I don't know if it makes much sense, but it's like the way it flows. But I want you to turn to James chapter 3. <coughs> Does everybody have a small piece of paper and a writing utensil to uh, write with? What I want to encourage you to do, um, I'm going to give you just a a few moments to do this right now, is I want you to write at least five, and if you can think of ten, ten is better, but five is okay. So I want you to have a starting place. I want you to write down at least five things that you are truly thankful to God for. Five things that you are truly thankful to God for. They don't have to be long, big, giant theological sentences. Just something real quick. You're, you're going to be the only ones reading this, so you can write shorthand, you can write in tongues, you can write whatever, as long as you can interpret. Okay? This is for your eyes only. Five things. I wish I had some Jeopardy music. I'd play it right now. Some of you got that. Anyway, five things. Okay, a few more seconds. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your presence. We just thank you for you, Father. You're so wonderful. You're so good. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would teach us your word. You would minister to us. We want to leave here with our with today's portion, today's daily bread that you have for us individually and as a body. Thank you, Father, for the grace for us to embrace and receive your word and to apply it. Thank you, Father, for your anointing. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, My brethren, not many of you, not let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect 
or mature man. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force a a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So right here, James is talking about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. And he's talking about how our tongue, you know, even though it's a small member of our entire body, I wouldn't know what percentage of our entire body the tongue is, but it's a small percentage. But yet that little thing in your mouth determines the course of your life. The Bible says in Proverbs that there is a power of life and death in the tongue. So this is a very important piece of stuff right here. In your mouth, this tongue, it directs your path and directs your course. And it talks about, and you know, when it says. Verse eight, but no man, it talks about in verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So all these huge creatures on the earth have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. So you got. You know, you think of these big elephants or big, big creatures that can be dominated by man. But this little piece of meat in here cannot be tamed by man. Isn't that interesting? It says in verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men. So with it we sing and worship and oh God, you're so good, you're so wonderful, I love you, I worship you. And then with the same mouth, we curse people, we backbite, we gossip, we belittle, we judge, we do these things. Worship God, and with the same lips, same tongue, we curse man. Man who is made in the image of the God that we're worshiping. And then he says, these things should not be this way. But he says, no man can tame the tongue. So we're in trouble. It shouldn't be this way, but no man can tame the tongue. But over in verse 2, I'm encouraged because it says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or mature man, able to bridle the whole body. So if a person does not stumble, he is a mature person. So in other words... What I believe that verse is saying 
is that there is the ability to become more mature so that you begin to stumble less and less with your mouth. I believe there is hope. But the Bible says no man can tame the tongue. There's no man that can tame the tongue. So we got a we got a situation on our hands. Turn to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Philippians. Verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then verse 14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he's telling us, instructing us to do all things without grumbling and complaining. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Would you say that in the world, in society, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining? Would you say that there's a lot of negative talk? Gossip, backbiting, that kind of stuff. You know, I I think I said this before in this in this setting, but I'm going to say it again for the sake of this. But I don't even know what I was thinking or what I was working on, what it had to do with. But for some reason, I decided to do a a little experiment (laughs) in the experiment. I decided to go to uh, while I was going to lunch. I was going to Brahms for lunch. This was a number of years ago. I was going to Brahms for lunch. Maybe that was why I was looking for an excuse to go to Brahms. But I went to Brahms for lunch. I got my lunch and I sat down. And what the experiment was, it was pretty packed. It was pretty busy during lunch and all the tables were full. I sat down by myself and I began to eat. And so what I began to do is I began to eavesdrop on purpose. I began to tune into the, there was, you know, people in front of me, people behind me, people, you know, all around. So I began to tune in to the different conversations and it wasn't hard. I mean, people weren't whispering, they were just talking. And so I tuned in in here and I was listening to them and they began, they were gossiping about somebody. So, hmm, interesting. So I began to tune in over here and they were gossiping about somebody. And then I was tuning in to the people behind me and they were grumbling, complaining about something, something. I don't remember what the specific circumstances were, but they were whining, griping, grumbling. Oh, isn't this not fair? And blah, blah, blah. So when I was just listening in as many conversations as I could and every single one of them, they were either talking about somebody who probably wasn't there. Or they were complaining about something. And I would invite you to do, do a little experiment. Sometime just when you're in an area where there's people talking and everything and just kind of tune in and be careful. <laughs> but just to see. But the point is 
There's a lot of grumbling complaining that goes on and on, and it's not brand new. I mean, you look at the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. They did a lot of grumbling complaining. Matter of fact, they got in trouble for the grumbling complaining that they continued to do over and over and over. I mean, it's so bad that they came out. God set them free out of slavery, out of hardship and, and just all that stuff they were going through. God got them out of that. And he was taking them into a new relationship with him, a new experience and everything. And they continue to grumble and complain. It's like, we're thirsty. We're thirsty. We're going to die. You brought us out here to die. I know you brought us out here. I knew you brought us out here to die. You brought us out here to die. Because we're thirsty. There's no water, so we're going to start. We're going to die of thirst. Because, God, you brought us out here to die. So God provided, miraculously provided water for them. So they had water, and they were all satisfied. Then they got hungry. I'm hungry. You brought us out here to die, didn't you? There's no food out here, so we're going to starve to death. I know God. And it's on, and then God provided Manna, supernatural. Every single day, God provided for them supernaturally. So every day, imagine you're, with, you're one of them, and you wake up, and every morning there's a miracle. A miracle. And you know, they begin to complain about the miracle. I mean, that's sad. They begin to complain about the miracle. I'm tired of this whatever this stuff you call it. What, it, what is it? Manna, what is it? They begin to complain about it. They began to complain. And so we see all through um, their journey, there's a lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining. Lots and lots of it. And I remember I used to look at them and think, man, you idiots. How could you guys be so dumb? And, and I was just ragging on the children of Israel. I was just going off on them because I had read, you know, I saw the whole thing and where they were and then how God delivered them and all this kind of stuff. And so I was looking as an outsider, looking in, seeing how cool God was. I'm thinking, you idiots. How could you guys be blaming God and and all this kind of stuff. And then the Holy Spirit said real gently, you're just like them. It's like, oh, Lord, you just broke my heart. But he showed me that I'm just like them. And then I begin to think of how many times have I wanted to complain about something, needing help or needing something, and then God wonderfully, graciously provides that. And it's like, oh, God, you're so wonderful. I'll never doubt you again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then a, a short time later, maybe a few days later, another trial comes up. Another need comes up. And you don't see that need being met instantly. And then begin to gripe and complain and doubt God again. Anybody ever done that before? No, anybody know anybody who's ever done that? <laughs> but anyway, it says in Philippians, it says that. Do all things without grumbling, complain that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. You know, in the midst of a crooked generation, in other words, it is normal to grumble and complain. If you don't grumble and complain, you will be considered abnormal. Something's wrong with you. And I would even invite you, if you're in a conversation with just a group of people, whether they're Christians or not, just a group of people, and... and Nine times out of ten, the conversation will gravitate towards something negative. It's like it's just normal. We just begin to grumble. We begin to complain. And so if you're in a conversation long enough, it'll go that direction. Now, see how awkward it will feel for you to either not participate or to try to stir the conversation in a different direction. To try to bring encouragement or positive, something positive into that conversation. It'll feel awkward. But how, does it feel awkward to grumble and complain? Not really. 
And see, if you and I grumble and complain, that means we have a heart issue. It's not a tongue issue. It's a heart issue. Because the Bible says in, in, uh, in the Bible somewhere, it's in there. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So whatever's in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. So if you have grumbling, 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 complaining, complaining, backbiting, bickering, all that kind of stuff, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So it's not the tongue that we really need to focus on. It's the heart that needs to be changed. And then the heart gets changed and stuff in the heart gets fixed. Then the tongue's going to begin to speak what's inside here. Okay, so we, he tells us, do things, do everything without grumbling, complaining. Well, it's hard. I mean, no matter how hard I try, it's, it's just hard. I keep finding myself gravitating to that, grumbling, and, oh, man, I did it again. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Gossiping, whatever it is. We find ourselves gravitating towards that. But I don't want to. But the Bible says no man can tame the tongue. But he says to do things without grumbling, complaining. But no man can tame the tongue. So what's, what's the solution? If God gives us a command, do you believe that he'll give you a solution along with that command? Will God tell you to do something if he doesn't enable you to do it? Would he do that? If I told Grant, I said, Grant, I need you, you know, we live outside. We live about 10 miles from here. And so Walmart from here would be about a mile south of here. So from our house, Walmart is maybe 11 miles. I said, Grant, I need you to go to Walmart. And I need you to get me uh, some item that costs 50 bucks. He said, okay. And he's looking at me like, what? Go to Walmart. He says, okay. Pulls out his hand. I said, what? Go to Walmart. He's like, well, dad, I don't have any money. It's not my problem. Just get to Walmart. It's like, well, um, okay, maybe I have money in my savings. I can use that. Uh, Dad, I don't have any way to get there. <laughs> Not my problem. And what kind of dad would I be? Don't answer that. <laughs> I mean, that'd be, pretty, that'd be pretty wrong, wouldn't it? Now, if I say Grant, say he's 16, you know, has his driver's license. I say, Grant, I need you to go to Walmart and I need this, this thing. Here you go. Here's the money. And here's the keys. I'm a man of faith. (laughs) And so if I told him to do something and I enabled him to do it, but he still has a choice, doesn't he? He can choose to do it or not do it. And if he chooses not to do it, it's not because I did not enable him to do it. Are you with me? When God says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. He says, this is my command. I filled you with this Holy Spirit. Go for it. He gives us the grace, the ability to do it. But then we have a choice whether we do it or not. And let's look and turn to Ephesians chapter five. In other words, does God have a solution for this dilemma? A practical solution. Because we can say, well, yeah, I know God's given me the grace. I know, I know God says I can, but then I really struggle with it. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear someone tell me to do something if they don't show me how practically I can follow through with that. I don't want theory. I may need to know the theory. Okay, the theory is nice. God wants me to do this. But Lord, how do I do it? And I believe that not only does God give us his doctrine, he gives us his word, he spells out in his word, but he gives us practical wisdom to walk it out so we can walk in his ways. But you know, this morning, you know, over in James, when it says out of our mouth, out of one side, I mean, we'll curse man, but then we'll worship God out of the same mouth. <clears throat> Remember that? We just read that. This morning, I was taking my little puppy out for a walk to take care of his business. And went outside and he went down and he took care of business. And, and then he went over to the side because he took care of the first part of business. But, there, you know, there's two parts, right? If you make the mistake of taking care of one part and bring him back in the house, then you're in trouble. Because then you realize, ah, no, don't do that. You know, part two. Anyway, so he finished part one and then he was sniffing around and going to take care of part two. Well, then he took care of the second part. And so then I was watching to make sure. And then after he finished and he was messing around with something. So then I said, come on, Sozo. That's his name. My dog's name is Sozo. Means salvation. Greek word for salvation. Anyway. So come on, so, so he came up and he had something in his mouth. It's like, I said, what are you doing? Drop it. And, you know, he's looking at me. I said, drop it. And he dropped it. At least it wasn't fresh. <laughs> it wasn't the fresh stuff, but it was some old, hard, crusty, yucky stuff. I'm like, ah, drop, drop, ah. <laughs> and I have a question for you vet students in here. And those of you who might be knowledgeable about this, why do dogs eat poo? No, I'm serious. Is there a, is there a reason? I knew there would be. Can you tell me? Okay, supplements, minerals, so they, they're getting nutrients out of it. That's just nasty. I'm sorry. We need to get some Flintstones vitamins so we can give our dog. I knew there was a reason for it, but it's just nasty. And I knew you'd have the answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, but now let me ask you this. Okay, so this cute little puppy comes and he's got, he's wagging his head. He's got, it's like, ah, drop it. Get it out of your mouth. And, and he drops it, you know, so. But when I saw this happening, the Lord reminded me of the scripture. Because he's done this before, the dog. You know, I'll see him bite, eating, chewing on, like, ah, get that in my mouth. And then later on, you know, I'm laying down, playing around. And I'll say, oh, come here, so-so. And he's, oh, oh. So, so it's like, ah! <laughs> now, how many of you like your dog chewing on poo and then licking you in the face? Not fun, is it? It's like, man, this is nasty. Get off me. But that's what the Lord says it's like. When we grumble and complain or gossip and talk bad about people made in his image, and then we come worship him. It's like eating poo and then come and kissing God on the cheek. That's not pretty, is it? Let that one sink in a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that to God. Now, that's not a condemnation thing. I mean, God, we know we mess up. 
we talk bad and that kind of thing. We let a sale of cuss words out of our mouth and that kind of thing. And then we go worship God. We know God is gracious and forgives us. And we know that, right? But do I want to continue to do that? And see, that's what it talks about in James. It says the mature person. So the good thing is, is we can grow in maturity. So that situation happens less and less and less and less. And I appreciate God because he does have a solution. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18. And we've talked about this verse quite a bit. It says, verse 18, chapter 5 of Ephesians. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, a few weeks ago, we did a series on praying in tongues. Being filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, right? Isn't it interesting that this unruly member that is causing such a big problem, the tongue, is the one thing that God targets when he fills you with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in? Isn't that interesting? No man can tame the tongue. But we're not talking about a man right now. We're talking about someone who can tame the tongue. And he says, I got a solution for you. Be filled with the Spirit. Bam, receive your tongues. Gift of tongues, praying in tongues. All of a sudden, so that area is targeted. And remember one thing I shared when we did that series, and, and you can go on the internet. If you weren't here for that, you can go on the internet and, and do some archives and go back a few weeks. And I don't remember the titles, but some about speaking in tongues or whatever. You can listen to that. But one more thing we talked about was some, a study that a man did, a professor did in Pennsylvania. He was a scientist. And he did this study, and he had five subjects, five people. Um, and one of them was actually one of his doctors. She was a, a spiritual woman, spoke in tongues. And this guy evidently wasn't a believer. So it wasn't like he was biased this way. He was just... I think, curious and interested in this phenomenon, so he wanted to do a study, research. Because we, according to the scriptures, we believe that when I pray in tongues, it's the Holy Spirit that gives utterance to my tongue. My vocal cords, my muscles in my mouth, my lips are are in action, but the Holy Spirit is who gives utterance to those words. So those words are not originated in my brain. And that's what we believe according to scripture. And, the, and what he proved scientifically, he had, because um, he had them all hooked up, however, however scientists do that, he had all five subjects, and they did this test with all five of them, and it was 100% with all five of them. That when they, he had them sing gospel songs, and when they sang gospel songs, certain parts of the brain, I can't remember the name of certain parts of the brain were activated when they were singing these gospel songs. When they talk, these same parts of the brain are activated. When they spoke in tongues, this part of the brain was inactive. Isn't that interesting? Science is catching up with the Bible. They're behind still, but they're catching up. So when we pray in tongues, scientifically and biblically, we know that the Holy Spirit is giving utterance to those words. And right here, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So then you're, you're yielding that member to the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. It says, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now remember, 
What is the issue with our mouth? What comes out of our mouth? What's the issue? Is it the mouth or is it the heart? Heart issue. It's a heart issue. So our heart needs to be dealt with. And right here he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So when you make a melody in your heart, I believe that's a way of your heart getting fixed. And that's my paraphrase. Keep going. And here's the key. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, practically, how does this play out? Remember we've been talking about praise and worship for a while. First we talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. We talked about that, surrendering, receiving that gift, surrendering. So we yield that member to God, let him deal, deal with that. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we pray in tongues, we're edifying ourselves, building ourselves up. And we're also building our faith up. Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude verse 20. So we talked about that. Then we started talking about praise and worship. Engaging, speaking and worshiping in tongues, in the Spirit, and with the understanding. We've been talking about that, talking about that, talking about that. And I believe here's another emphasis, another area, another tool where it says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. I believe that is a key. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. And so we have a hard time giving thanks because sometimes we feel like we don't have anything to be grateful for. I don't have anything to be thankful for. Because when our focus, and now see, when I say, do we have anything to be thankful for? Of course, we say, yes, you know, we, we agree. Yes, we do. But then, okay, write something down. Hmm. It may be a challenge. And it can be a challenge because a lot of times we're so focused on what we don't have. We're so focused on the challenging situation that we're engrossed in that, we're, that is vexing our soul. And so we're so fixated on that that we have a hard time remembering The goodness of God. And it's like we can sing songs like this morning. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. But if you're so focused on the hardships you're going through or the lack that you have, then you're having a hard time currently or presently agreeing with that song. God, you're so good. Because you might be you might be thinking, you know, you're singing, God, you're so good, you're so good. And in your mind, you're thinking, if you are so good, then why haven't you answered that prayer yet? If you're so good, then why do I still not have enough money to pay for my electric bill? If you're so good, then why is it that I get blamed for all this stuff? If you're so good, why did I get laid off when other people didn't get laid off? If you're so good, then why did on and on and on and on? I mean, see what I'm saying? And this is a dilemma that all of us find ourselves in here, you know, at one time or another, including me. And so what's the solution? One problem is, before I get to the solution, one problem is, is we have a, a sense of entitlement mentality here in the United States. Let me ask you this question. Let's say I were to come knock on your door tomorrow. 
You open the door. And let's say I don't know you. Well, actually, I can know you. You can know me. So I, I come to you. Say, hey, how's it going? I say, how are you doing? I, I give you a $100 bill. I say, be blessed. I say, wow, thank you very much. What's this for? Be blessed. Tuesday. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Here you go. $100 bill. Wow. Two, wow. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Answer my prayers. How, be blessed. Wednesday. Come to the door. Me again. $100. Man, you're just so excited. Wow, I can't believe this. The next day, before I even knock on the door, door opens. I give you a $100 bill. And you're just so grateful, so excited. Friday, I do the same thing. Saturday, I do the same thing. Sunday, I do the same thing. And you're just so excited. Monday comes around. And it's about noon, about the time that I usually come by. And you know, you're kind of looking. Maybe it's 12.01, 12.02. It's like, man, where's he at? And you peek out the window. And you see me at your neighbor's house. And you see me hand them a $100 bill. But you didn't get yours. And you feel ripped off all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, you dirty cheat, where's my money? That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, logically, it doesn't make sense. But emotionally, it makes all kinds of sense. You get used to something. You get used to something. You get used to something. And then when it's not there, it was never owed to you in the first place. But you get used to it, so you begin to feel like it's owed to you. And then when it's gone, you feel cheated. And then we begin to shake our fist. I might get a rock upside my head or something. And a lot of times we can project that on the God. You know, God just blesses us. Now, there, there is cause and effect. There is... Um, you know, we do things, walk in obedience and everything. We're going to get blessed. You know, there, there are laws of, of spiritual laws and everything. But sometimes there's just the mercy of God. There's just things we can't explain why. The sovereignty of God or whatever category we want to put it in. And things are going wonderfully and we're blessed and grateful. Maybe our prayers are being answered quickly. You know, you pray, boom, you answer the prayer, all these things, wonderful things. And then all of a sudden there may be a season when it's not so quickly. When the answers don't come so quickly and, and maybe you have to, well, maybe they just don't. And then you begin to remember, man, God, you used to do this, but now you don't. What's wrong with you, God? And then we sing a song, God is so good, God is so good. And you're like, well, he used to be. But he sure ain't showing me no goodness right now. I don't know what his deal is. And see, if we don't deal with the sense of entitlement, then we're going to have a hard time being grateful and seeing God as a good God. So what do we need to do? I believe it's very practical and very easy. The Bible talks about, you know, and even in Psalms, it says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. In other words, it's like as they approach God, there's a like the first thing you do is praise him. I thankful. Thank him. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then that once that passage we read in Ephesians chapter five, verse 19 and 20. It says, giving thanks always for all things. And it's in the midst of being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, and giving thanks. So it's part of the package, giving thanks. You know, in, in Psalm, excuse me, 
Philippians, I think it's chapter 4, verse 6. I think. Actually, let me turn there because I'm going to actually turn to Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 6. It says, be anxious or do not worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but... In other words, don't be anxious, but do this instead. In everything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. In other words, he's saying, don't worry about stuff. Take it to the Lord. Talk to him about it. Seek him. He wants to meet your needs. With prayer and supplication, but with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, it says, let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Then, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. So you can look all through the scriptures. I was going to do a search last night on the internet, but I couldn't because the, the storm took out our internet. So I couldn't do an internet search. But uh, I was going to see how many times the Bible talks about thankfulness, being thankful, thankful. I bet it's a lot, especially in the Psalms. So there's a key that being thankful is a tremendous key. It's a tremendous key. That if we lock on to that and begin to use that, it'll do something to our hearts. It'll do something to our mindset, our mentality. And it'll begin to change Remember we talked about, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That process, transformation. Transformation. As we continue to worship God, thank Him. Worship God, thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. Even when we, especially when we don't feel like thanking Him. Because even though my circumstances right now may not make me feel like God is good, I know that God is good. Isn't that right? Even though my feelings may not dictate that, truth is he's good all the time. And what happens, though, is we let our feelings dictate and navigate where we're going to go and we let it control our tongue. Whereas in the midst of that feeling, that emotional down that discouragement that's when faith kicks in and i say god you are good i thank you for and here's why i had you write on a piece of paper five at least five things because as you were writing five things your mind was engaged in focusing and concentrating on what am i thankful for and so you begin to write some things down and so throughout the week I want you to keep that piece of paper with you. And when you get frustrated or discouraged, you may not even have to pull that paper out because your mind was already brought, has brought to remembrance the things that you're thankful for. And every day, just begin to thank God. Get in the habit of thanking God as you're worshiping, praising Him, praying in tongues, praying in your, your prayer language. Thank God. Father, I thank you that I am saved. And here's one thing I want to encourage you with. I'm about to close. We have to get to the point... That if we're praying for something, and it's a need, I'm not talking about just a frivolous thing. God, give me tickets to the OSU game so I can go watch him beat Baylor, whatever. And by the way, if you have tickets, never mind. But if you're praying for something that is a real need, 
or desire, a real need. You have to come to the place to where you say, you know, God, here's what I need. I need this. But if I don't get this, if you don't answer this the way I see fit or in the time or whatever, I'm still going to praise you. You have to come to this place because here's what happens. Your prayer request can hold you hostage. And then you get to the place to where you, you, you're praising and worshiping God is dependent upon whether your prayer is answered or not. So then you ask him for something. Lord, I need this. And then you're waiting. And while you're waiting, you're not praising him. Because it's kind of like, okay, when I get this, then I'll, oh, thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. How, oh, you're so good. When you get the answer. But what if you don't get it? Or what if it comes, it takes a long time, weeks or months or years or whatever. What are you going to do in the meantime? And I've had to do this constantly. I'm, I'm praying fat, hard and fast on something. I mean, praying in tongues hard. I'm doing everything I know to convince God that I think I need to convince him to, to, to hurry up with this thing. And it doesn't come in my time frame. And so what can happen is you get frustrated. Frustration begins to captivate your heart. Frustration, anxiety. Resentment. And so you can allow yourselves to be taken hostage by those things, or you can have a free heart. Remember, it's the heart issue. And you can just continue to worship God. God, I thank you. You're so good anyway. And here's, I've come up with this phrase that's helped me, and I've told my wife this. She knows this, and we kind of joke about it. And I'm frustrated about something or not getting an answer to something, and I'll say, you know what, Lisa? At least I'm going to heaven. At least I'm going to heaven. And what I mean by that is this, t- this situation is temporary, even if it lasts me for the rest of my lifetime, which may be 50, 60 more years or whatever. But I'm going to be with him forever, and I'm not going to even remember this little thing. Perspective. And when we focus on God and we're thanking him, God, you're so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And not just frivolous lip service. I mean, really engaging and thanking him for stuff. It gets your perspective on him and his goodness and his greatness. And you're not able to be taken captive hostage by your emotions and by unanswered prayer or lingered prayer or whatever. You see what I'm saying? And so what I want to encourage you is this thing of, of being thankful. Let it develop it into a lifestyle. Thankfulness. God, thank you. Thank you. That's how you develop an attitude of gratitude. Is when you just constantly thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. And maybe you want to take that piece of paper and put it on your mirror in your bathroom so you're reminded of what you're thankful for. Of how good he is. Would you stand with me? Here's how we're going to close.